Hello and welcome to the 93% Club podcast. Um, I think the first question I was going to uh, ask is um, your time at university. How how was that, and how did it shape you into who you are now? Um, how, the skills I'm more interested in the skills you learn and the um, the experience you had. It, could you um, could you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, wow. Okay, so university. <clears throat> University, I think, for me was a such a crucial point in my life in terms of forging my identity, and it really contributes a lot to you know who I am today. Yeah. Um, starting with the first part of your question, the skill set. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, university is a great place to to forge a set of skills where you're able to work independently, learning to especially for myself. So I studied geography at Queen Mary. And geography is a very research-heavy subject. So for me, a lot of the work was independent research, having to find information, scouring through book after book after book, uh, online resources. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, so that that was a really big sort of life lesson for me was to be able to work independently, especially under time pressure when it comes to university. It's a lot more different compared to sixth form. Um but I would also say teamwork. And there are two sides of teamwork that a lot of people need to understand when it comes, especially when it comes to university work. Yeah. Teamwork can be a great thing and teamwork can also be a really bad thing depending on the situation. And I'm sure, you know, a number of students at Birmingham have already encountered this or at least I hope not, but <laughs> you can, you can work in teams and the team has this great synergy. Um, everyone understands their role. It's been clearly defined from the beginning. Everyone's great and everyone's good to go. Um, but you can also have experiences where that same, you know, situation, but it, there's not as great an understanding amongst the team of as to roles and responsibilities in terms of punctuality um, in regards to producing work on time. Yeah. You know, using your time when you're independent to bring forward information that works well within a team. And so I, I especially recall um, an experience in my third year uh, where we had to do a research project can't actually remember the research project i just remember more the feeling which was yeah, around yeah yeah, yeah. This the feelings what sticks with you isn't it yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um it, it really stuck with me because you know it, it quickly dawned on me that this research project is going to rely heavily on me doing a lot of the work yeah, um yeah which, yeah you know it, it can be unfortunate and i've been in two situations like that where it's happened in one situation i wasn't happy to be in and the other situation i was um, the first situation was a research project where we had to produce a document and everyone had their sections and I did my section, everyone read it, everyone was like, wow, this is amazing. I was like, thanks, you know, I put a lot of time into this. We read everyone else's sections and everyone was a bit like, ooh, okay, I think I need to work on mine now. Ooh, I think I need to work on mine. Um, <laughs> yeah, one person yeah. didn't even produce anything and you're just like, where are we going, guys? What are we trying to do here? Um, so there's definitely learning skills in that and i you know i'm grateful for the experience because you learn patience you learn how to coordinate a team you know leadership skills because sometimes you do have to help others and, and take an initiative with them um yeah definitely yeah, and, the, and the other experience was more around um you know i was working with a group of friends so and again in our third year this time i was a bit more happy to take on the role of, of leader and sort of taking the initiative a bit more with, especially with their workload 
primarily because it was so tight in terms of deadlines around that time. A few of my friends actually stayed in university overnight to finish a project that they were working on at the same time. Dumb. And so for me, I was just like, okay, look, I can understand what you guys are going through. And and I think that's when the sympathy hat sort of comes on and you sort of say to yourself, I, I can understand that you guys are going through a hard time. Let me try and ease that burden on you. Um, so, yeah, I remember that one in particular. And I felt, I mean, we all did really well on the project, which I was super happy about. Um, and sometimes it made me realize that sometimes... You know, just because you have to do a bit more work doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. You could actually be helping a lot of people out by doing that. So when it comes to um, teamwork, I know personally, myself, I've been put into groups where, again, like you mentioned, you're on your own. If you're in a group by name, but technically the onus is on you, you have to do all the work. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that can put you in a really stressful uh, predicament. But at the same time, do you feel that? that maybe you could say gives you more skills or develops more skills of dealing with that stress, dealing with the the responsibility on your shoulders mm-hmm. rather than rather than do you think do you think it's more character building, would you say? I, I definitely think so. Um it can make or break you depending on how stressed you are and how um Yeah, definitely yeah. Uh in terms of your your capabilities of of digesting what's in front of you so if for example you're in a position and you have three deadlines all within a week apart from one another one of them is yeah. presentation right in between your you know your immediate thoughts should be okay how do i plan this to ensure that i have a smooth say sale through these deadlines um if it's even worse and you have them in the same week it can yeah. be quite stress inducing um which again can either make you or break you and it depends on your perspective of how you deal with it so for example you said character building if someone was really optimistic and they said to themselves okay this is a great opportunity for me to learn not only about what skills i have but what skills i can learn then great you know let's let's really take on the challenge if you're like me in my third year where every little thing stressed you out then you might not be as great at that um but you know, yeah. for, you know, for me in particular, it third year was so stressful, um, so so stressful, and I think a lot of character was built during that time. Whether you know, in hindsight, anyway, um, but I definitely wasn't as fun in third year. A lot of my friends were very quick to note that you're not going out as much as you used to. Um, you're not doing as yeah, much yeah, as outside of work as you used to. I used to be in the library all the time um yeah no 100 percent. i mean would you would you say it, it that moment third year would be the most stress you've been so far in your professional career and i'll include university into that professional career just because it was the skills and the the skills to um let you go yeah. to like lead you into your professional career okay um <clears throat> excuse me i i would say third year was a strong competitor in terms yeah. of my most stressful year yeah excuse me um i would say so my first year i i after university i joined the post office on their graduate scheme so i'm based in their head office in the city of london really really great location and a lot of work to do um you do six month rotations the first six months i was in insurance which was smooth sailings the um second six months i was in uh, the retail team again smooth sailings 
the third uh, six-month period, so the final six-month period of the 18 months, I was in compliance. And by this point, you're a year into the organization. A lot of people know you by now. You know a lot of people. So by this point, you know, they don't they don't see you as a graduate anymore. They see you as, you know, a fully-fledged employee. Here's some work. We expect you to do it. You don't really, you know, need support anymore. Yeah, they don't, they don't hold That's, your hand anymore. Yeah, and, you know, that was a really tough lesson um, because that was the first time I had, quote-unquote, two line managers, which I'm sure a lot of people um, have, have had before, probably more. But you have your your real line manager, your person who you know directly manages you. You have catch ups, you know they talk about your objectives and your progress, and then you have this other person who gives you objectives, but they don't have any of the baggage of being your line manager, which you know for them is fantastic. You know, it's like having a direct yeah. report without having the responsibilities that you have towards them. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And so that that third that third rotation was probably the most stressed I've ever been in my professional career, primarily because I was juggling the demands of two line managers, both of whom were really demanding, both whom were also quick to point out that I was doing more work for the other person as well. So my actual line manager would say, you're, you're focusing too much on what they're asking you to. I need you to do what I'm asking you to do. I'd be like, great, sure. And then as soon as the other line manager realizes that, they're like, look, they've gone on leave for a week. So this whole week, you're mine. I don't want you to do any of their work. You're doing everything that I need you to do, which can be quite. Oh, okay. Easy. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, really yeah. Amazing because for me, I'm, you know, a lot of the work I was doing was project based. It's about delivery. You have to plan it, you know, the aims, the scope, the objectives, start working towards timelines, start building a roadmap. Here are my deliverables. Here's what I expect to be able to do in the first six weeks, you know, the, the next three months. It's really structured, really sort of you know, planning ahead. Uh, but spanners in the work all the time when you've got two different people trying to fight over your time, um, especially when, you know, post office is a really large organization. It's a, it's, a, it's a small but really large organization. There's not a lot of people who work in the organization. I'd say about, from a head office perspective, about 400, 500 people. But yeah. In terms of the branch network, there's eleven and a half thousand branches across the UK, and that has about at least forty thousand people working within it. So, okay, yeah. my role in compliance was to support the vulnerable customer function. You know, supporting, making sure that all of our vulnerable customers across the UK were supported. That's a lot of work to do for one person, and you're you're coordinating all these different teams. Um, so that for yeah. me was incredibly stressful so yeah yeah Um, would 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 you say sorry just sorry to jump in there but um would you say that the the skills you learned dealing with the stress in your third year helped you cope with the stress you have now in your job role or during your the last six months of your placement Hmm. i would say that for me it really distinguished that i have been able to do in the past so in that sense, yes, you you try and hype yourself up. You try and convince yourself and stay optimistic and say you've dealt with, you know, a lot of stress in the past, a lot of stress. You know, yeah. this is nothing. You can do this. And, you know, when yeah, I yeah, for sure. that third year was a strong competitor, I didn't start writing my dissertation until 10 days before the deadline. 
not to be advised. No way. Not a great way to do it. How, how, did, that, how did that happen? <laughs> was it just research you were doing beforehand? Yeah, so it was, again, you know, geography, highly research-based um, uh, subject. So I did all the research, you know, I did all my interviews. And, and you know, my, my dissertation was on, was a bit unorthodox in that sense, because, you know, dissertation is supposed to be unique. So my, my dissertation yeah, yeah. on um, uh, the male Bangladeshi view on marriage and the difference on marriage. Yeah, yeah. I, I read that. I read that when I was looking at your LinkedIn. I found that really interesting, you know. Wait, so, wait, my math isn't the best, but how many how many words does a dissertation have to be? Is that 30,000? Uh, no, 10,000, typically. 10,000, sorry, yeah. Um, 10,000. So you started 10 days before. Yeah. So you're doing about 1,000 words a day. <laughs> Which, to be fair, it doesn't sound like a lot, but that's assuming everything I write is gold. You know, everything. Yeah, I write yeah. Is gold. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, that's like everything you've written isn't a draft; it's the final thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which basically. Um, is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, um, that's crazy. So this is. Well, I mean, I once you've put yourself in that situation, I know, I know, it's a bad situation to put yourself in, but that's like peak stress in yeah. my head. I see that as like. Oh, damn like okay i've got to get this done no matter what and now when you come to your job bro it's a different kind of stress but i feel like it would still help a lot yeah for sure um i think what it taught me a lot was that discipline is key so one thing that probably a lot of people will become will begin to realize when they when they go into work is that there are times when you have uh, a lot of work to do and there are, and there are occasions where you don't yeah, um, but for me, so university was a lot like that in terms of my first and second year. There wasn't a lot of work to do where it was very stress inducing, but third year was very full on. And there are parallels there between my rotations and my years at university. So the first and second rotation at, at work wasn't very like full on, but the third one was. And so what that taught me from past experiences was that discipline is really key. Like being motivated is great. Being motivated yeah. is fine. Um, but motivation is very emotional based, whereas discipline, you're saying to yourself, I need to do this regardless of how I feel today. And, you know, I may not feel like 100 percent, but yeah. regardless, I still need to get this done because, you know, I'm serving a higher purpose in a sense. Um, yeah, no, 100 percent, 100 percent. For my for my third rotation, that was that was what was pushing me. You know, you need to get through this. You're being paid. now. This is a professional you know, role. This isn't like university. Like you're, yeah, yeah. It's more yeah. like you are you you are the small fish in a big bowl, but you've you've got to do it. You've just got to adapt now to your surroundings, and you've got to be the one that does it now. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I I feel like that leads us on nicely to your mistakes and failures because I I don't know about you, but I would see that would be a mistake. Start your dissertation ten days before, be let's, quite let's stressful. Dive let's let's dive yeah. into <laughs> mind of Mohammed ten days before dissertation deadline. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean... and let's go and, and relive that trauma. So, <laughs> what's happening? Okay, so we've got we've got a deadline, third, you know, beginning of third year. Everyone's really hyped. Yeah. Okay, one, this is great. We're back, friends. High five. Let's go. <laughs> Dissertation's due halfway through. How is everyone feeling? Me personally, I'm feeling great. You know, I've got my my topic ready. I've got my research. I know exactly how many people I need to interview. Let's go do this. And that yeah. was basically most of month one. A month two, again, just transcribing, writing up all the interviews, still carrying on with my other deadlines. Great, you know, plodding along, doing great, yeah, yeah. really hyped. Come up to month three, everyone started writing. 
and I just didn't. I didn't start with it. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm trying to understand why I put myself through that situation, and I think part of me has always convinced myself that I can do it regardless. So, like, I'm, you know, I'm not a stranger to, you know, writing a whole essay overnight, uh, day before it's due, and still getting a first. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. for me, that was a clear indicator that I'm more than capable of leaving something last minute. And then the goal out of nowhere just comes to mind, whether it be the adrenaline or the, the sheer fear of failure. And so that for me was a, was a driving force when it came to my dissertation. You know, in the past, I've been able to leave things last minute and still come out on top. This yeah. shouldn't be any different, except it was because it's not... It's not a three thousand word paper that you can just you know write in one. Yeah, yeah. It's now I can imagine it. It sounds words. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Now I can imagine like sorry to just jump in there again, but kind of like I can imagine how it is even for me now. It's a good lesson for me to learn as well because whenever we get projects and the letter is like, yeah, you can't start this the night before. I kind of see it as challenge accepted, but I think that's a really bad way to look at it in the long run. I mean, in the short term, fair enough, you could probably get away with it. But when it comes to my design project in third year and other people's dissertations, as you're saying right now, it's it's not a good idea at all. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll level with you. It was the most stressful experience of my entire third year. And, and bear in mind, <laughs> I went into my third year saying to myself, I need to average 75% on every single um, assignment to get a first class at the end. Yeah, I, I set that okay. for myself at the beginning of the year. I said, look, 75% for everything minimum if you want to get a first. If you want to do that, yeah. this is how you need to do it. And I was kicking myself. I was genuinely kicking myself because I was like, you know, same old Mohammed. You always do this. You know, you just love seeing yourself fail. Why do you do this to yourself? <clears throat> um, but I, I, I pushed through and there are a number of factors that helped me and I wish I'd realized this sooner. One, friends friends were key i had one friend in particular who sat with me every single day in the library whilst they were writing their dissertation and basically just talked me through my thoughts because i had a lot going on in my head okay you know what do i need to write how do i need to write it where do i include this resource where do i include this interview where is this relevant how do i structure it so i had all these questions that would really help me get through this um but i wasn't doing it in a structured way and so they helped structure my thoughts, almost like a therapist in, in, in a sense. Uh, yeah, yeah. Every day. Um, family as well. Family were hugely supportive. Oh man, it's all coming back to me now. Yeah, so the last <laughs> uh, PTSD. Days, yeah. I remember the last three <laughs> days, I would stay up until one. Yeah. And then I, I would be in my living room. So I'd stay up until one um, and then go to sleep on the sofa set my alarm for six so five hours sleep sometimes at four (laughs) get up yeah no i I set out four so three hours sleep get up use three hours yeah use that adrenaline of waking up at four and being like i hate my life let me use that motivation (laughs) to type something and then i would go back to sleep at six and then get up at eight and then get on the bus and go to university go to the library be there for nine work until how long work until 10 go yeah. home work again no i'd have like an hour break because i was wait so you do you'd actually do a 13 hour shift most days so, yeah 
so you'd work from nine till ten in the night and then go home and then start working and then go to sleep at one to wake up at four again yeah those were like <laughs> the last four four days last five yeah, days. yeah 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 so yeah, by I that point i had that. like an idea of how i wanted it to go and then i yeah. was like that is this is this is now the burden that i bear um yeah yeah no i can imagine that'll teach you like in just i know this is me as well how i think it's like i just look back and think what if i had started two weeks earlier <laughs> you, know, <laughs> Do you know what i mean i i actually use that sometimes so i remember at the beginning of my third year when i was still in that like mode of i can do things last minute i would sometimes like this is really weird, but like I would pretend that I had been teleported back in time. So I'm now yeah. <laughs> a day before the deadline. And it's like, yeah. you've been given an extra day to do this work. Use it wisely. And yeah, then I yeah. would just start writing, um, which is really weird. But I used to do it quite a bit, less so as I went on. But yeah. But no, no, that's a good tip to be fair. Because you, I mean, the mindset is an important thing. Because if you say you're, if you think that you're, the deadline's coming up, you're going to get stressed out and probably produce a piece of work that you're not going to be proud of. But if you if you trick yourself, really, into thinking you have more time, you'd probably produce something better. I think um, that was the thinking behind it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, I can fully sympathize with that. I, I can see where that's come from fully. So you'd say family, friends were important. Um, would you say the same thing? Because uh, we're coming short on time. Would you say the same thing about internships? Because I know you're really big on internships. and um, Would you say family and friends help with that in terms of uh, practice interviews, um, giving you advice, etc.? Or was internships all you? Tell me something about the internships. So I know for a fact, if I take you back in time a little bit, yes, it's 2013, Mohammed. <clears throat> this was the yeah. first big internship that I'd ever done. Probably the most important internship that I'd ever done uh, was with Ernest and Young, and yeah. uh, they they'd come into our sixth form and you know done a massive presentation. We, we'd love for you to come work for us uh, if you guys are willing to apply. Not a lot of people were interested. I was obviously very keen. Then they mentioned it, <laughs> and all of a sudden everyone was interested. So that was great. Yeah. So the competition just went from zero to a hundred. Um, but a lot of that was you know understanding that I'm I'm going to be learning. A lot of skills here this is setting the foundations for my career moving forward and that was really key for me to understand from a young age um yes yeah. from from a young age you know especially growing up in a in a more impoverished socioeconomic background you're you're either made or broken by your environment you either say to yourself this is where i live this is how i'm going to live you know life is this and death will be soon or you say to yourself this is circumstances now uh, i not entirely happy with them i can do something about them and there are a number of opportunities around me to do that whether or not i take yeah. them is, is down to me and so that was the mindset 2013 ey came through the door pushed me and said you know you should apply i did apply managed to get onto the scheme that was a three-week internship where i met a lot of people made friends for life but the most important aspect of that was my mentor that came out of it who in turn seven years later is now a very good friend of mine so she oh, was, nice. you know, she was someone who really pushed me early on, recognized that I'm, you know, I had a bit of ambition in me. She wanted to see that, you know, happen. And when I say like, you know, certain privileges that you have when you are in a place such as like EY, 
it's true. Like I, I said very early on, I'm, I'm super interested in corporate social responsibility. You know, I want to work in an organization, but I want to do good for the world. And she was like, I'll put you in touch with EY's head of CSR. I was like, what? Yeah, that's that's exactly it. That's that's it's just networking, isn't it? Exactly. You know, using her network to enhance mine and in turn enhancing my career, just like that. So easy. Just like that. It's just one connection. Yeah, it shows the power of networking, really, doesn't it? But I want to bring it. I want to make it a little real. Um, because prior to to accepting that internship, so so you know, I'm Bengali. I've never been to Bangladesh. However. Yeah. Prior to that internship, my uncle called me and said, look, I'm going to Bangladesh. I've got a spare plane ticket. I want to bring you with me. Now, yeah. in that situation, being young, dumb, a little, some people might say to themselves, <laughs> well, this is an internship, you know, or I can go to Bangladesh, you know, see the homeland for free. It's great. <laughs> um, yeah. And I was a little on the fence, but I was mostly saying I need to do the internship. And what really compounded that was my family, in, in particular, my brother-in-law, who said to me, once you get your foot in the door at EY, you need to keep your foot there because that's exactly what's going to set you up for the future. You're going to make a lot of connections there who are going to help you moving forward. And had he not said that to me, I may not have joined EY that summer. And I think that's where the oh, family okay. comes in. They can even make or break you where they might say, you need to go Bangladesh, mate. You need to go see the homeland. You've never been before. Yeah, yeah, that's it. it's the environment, isn't it? Yeah, um, and I'm sure a lot of people, part of the 93% club, can can identify with that a little bit, particularly when you come from an identity where you have the homeland and then you have your current land. You know, it can feel like that sometimes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and maybe your maybe your parents or your extended family they don't get it because obviously they're not from this country and they don't see how. Um, like something small like that just going for the summer doing an internship can benefit you long term yeah it's something absolutely. that is kind of it's it's kind of new right now isn't it wouldn't you say thinking like that in terms of uh, people from socioeconomic backgrounds like ours mm-hmm. yeah absolutely absolutely i mean it's it's so key to have like uh what a lot of people might call like a progressive mindset understand yeah ex- definitely definitely it's understanding long term isn't it yeah yeah absolutely um it's so so key and i can't emphasize it enough but again you know if you compare me to you know a number of my of my friends who are, who are close to me it's, it's it's recognizing that we have different ambitions in life and sometimes what can be seen as progressive mindset might be seen as you know something like someone pushing above their weight but regardless of how it's perceived regardless of how it's seen being ambitious um, should always be seen as a good thing. You know, you should always say to yourself, I'm trying to reach something far beyond me. And every single step. Definitely. Is, definitely. Is, yeah. Step closer to that journey. I think yeah. um, uh, my, Simon my, Smith is one of my favorite speakers. And he talks a lot about our generation, you know, like the millennial Gen Z generation. And he says a lot of them have this great thing about being focused on ambition. And, you know, they're at the foot of the mountain and and that thing that they want is the apex and they see that but what they don't recognize is that there's a mountain between where they are and where they want to be and it's about climbing yeah. that mountain every single day and you know taking a day off won't get you closer to that yeah yeah it's it's all about consistency isn't it it's, it's about having that ambition and then having a, a like an consistent drive to get there completely it's kind of like the missing link between it wouldn't you say yeah um, and it ties back nicely to that to that motivation discipline dichotomy I was talking about earlier, where you're motivated is being emotional, 
um, you know, I feel great today. I want to do 101 things versus discipline, which is like, I don't feel great today, but I need to do 101 things. Whether or not I do yeah, them is yeah. how disciplined I am. No, 100%. I mean, I remember for me, when it come to, came to internships, I was completely... Um, I, I didn't know about them in detail. I thought, okay, I heard of obviously the term intern and stuff, but I didn't know it was such a big thing and how helpful it can be. There was no one there that told me, go for this internship. Look for, As soon as you come into uni, look for a spring week, look for um, insight day. There was no one. And I only came to like the end of first year where I realized and I, I like, made some a group of friends and they were like, no, you've got to do this. Like, this is the way to do it. Mm-hmm. So again, it's like, it's your network. It's your, it's your network at uni. It's your group of friends completely that help you a lot and it's, it's the friends that you keep around you as well because if you keep friends around you that aren't ambitious and they aren't driven to get where to help you get to where you want to be then there's no point in having them you know it, it ties back into the idea of networking long term and how that can be quite beneficial for someone and and for me university was really was really great for that because i met a lot of people especially geography which is an international subject you meet a lot of people from all over the world and you know they have now you know dotted all over the world they're working in different industries which means that i have an in essentially um with yeah yeah 100 percent. who i can who i can speak to but i also have other countries that i can visit um if i wanted to um so there there are a number of things that that university has taught me in, in that regard um and, and yeah no that's really interesting um moving on when it comes to um when it comes to the workplace and internships and getting your foot in the door, as you said, did you find any obstacles in your way because of not necessarily um, uh, more because of who you are, as in mm. the background you come from? And or did you feel there was any, how would you say, prejudice in a way, but more discrimination towards you? Did you feel if there was anything like that? So I... I would say that I've been, for the most part, very fortunate to have not encountered direct prejudice or, or discrimination in any sense. But the the UK, if you compare the UK to the US, you know, the US is very sort of clear in, in a lot of ways in its stance on, on race and identity and how it views it versus the, the UK, which is a bit more around setting up hidden barriers almost like that glass ceiling um that makes you feel like you can get somewhere but it's not really there um and i've definitely seen that in terms of how an environment has been set up for someone so before joining post office i actually went for an assessment center at a brokerage firm you know high high intensity financial services great place to start learning your trade And it was a two-day assessment center, which is a bit unorthodox. So the first day was just pure test, rigorous testing, being put in rooms Mm -hmm. of people, being, you know, you know, circumstantial testing, what would you do here? What would you do there? Memory testing, all of that good stuff. What really, what really drove me away from that particular organization was at the end of the first day, um, they invited everyone down to the bar in their building. So they have a bar in their building on the ground floor. And, you know, as coming from a Muslim background, I'm not inclined to drink. It was actually Ramadan during that time as well. So even more sins, right? Oh, okay. But like, yeah. I was, I felt inclined to be there because I'm pursuing a job role. That's red flag. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I feel like if yeah. you're not taking part, then it's like, you, you yeah. don't want, they see it as you don't want to be part of them or you're being weird. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I very quickly established 
on during the first day that that firm wasn't for me. I wanted to see out the experience because it's an experience nonetheless. But I, I know for sure that there are going to be a number of people who encounter this feeling where they don't fit in because of their moral stance or, or their or their identity, which is such a key thing in the workplace. You know, you bring your, you spend eight hours there usually, right? If you feel yeah. like your identity isn't accepted, it can be really difficult to want to stay there. And so for me, I felt really uncomfortable. You know, I think the, the, the biggest kicker was the managing director who had had like a bit to drink by this point was speaking to a number of us. We're all sort of like in this bar, we're all together, we're all talking. And he says, yeah. you lot are going to be responsible for my pension. You lot need to make me a lot of money. And the thing is, right, when you when you take that like out of context or you take it with context, either way you look at it, you're not seen as a human being. You're seen as, as a... <laughs> yeah, a it's like factor. tyrannical like boss dictator. Yeah, essentially, right? Like, and <laughs> yeah. this is the real kicker for me. I was like mortified. I was like, oh my God, like, who, who the hell would want to work here, right? <laughs> yeah, the yeah. other guys around Starry, me, yeah. Like, yeah, like the other guys around me were like, this is amazing. I can't wait. Like, this is going to be great. Yeah. Like, and I think, and, and that for me was like, you could argue, you know, part of my background growing up, which was around, especially around like social care and stuff like that. And like being in an environment which isn't like highly involved with like, where a lot of money is made i'm not familiar with the idea of being surrounded by a lot of money and so you have to 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 identify with it immediately and i just didn't and that for me was yeah, so yeah. Alien. so when i had the interview the next day you know the interviewers yeah. were really impressed with me they said to me you know like we were really impressed with how you were during um you know the workshops you were doing like roles which nobody was prepared to take on and like, you know, leading them and doing so well. And, you know, it's fantastic. And you're asking questions, which, you know, people haven't asked before. We were really impressed. And I was really impressed with myself because it's a, it's a finance, you know, finance orientated graduate scheme. I was the only non-finance person there. So my degree is geography. You had like one other person with geography, but it's geography and finance. So for me, that was my USP. Like I was ready to go in there. Yeah, this thing. yeah, like, yeah. I was 100%. ready to do this. But I just said to them in the interview, like, I really appreciate the experience. I'm so grateful for being here. Like, you know, thank you for inviting me to the assessment center. I've learned so much. I've made friends. You know, you guys are amazing. Especially one of the interviewers. He was an ex-hostage negotiator. And these are the types no of people they have in the room where they, they, if you make a joke, they don't flinch. They're there to un, like unpick you. And make you feel nervous. Yeah. So that you're more likely yeah, to make yeah. mistakes. So it's easier for them to get rid of you. But he, like, yeah, at the end yeah. of it, he and I were like best friends. I was like, dude, you're so cool. He's like, man, I was really impressed with you. But even yeah. despite that, despite, you know, the praise, I was like, this isn't for me. And that had to do with, like, I would say, like, my, my background as who I am growing up. Particularly when you're surrounded by poverty, you, you just feel like, okay, I need to grab the first opportunity that's in front of me. But even then, my identity was saying, it's just not for you. Yeah, it kind of differed your perception on on the role. 100%. It kind of, it kind of changed, opened your eyes to what it is. I mean, that's, that's really important because you could see that as a brilliant opportunity. And most people, I feel, which is why I admire what you've done, would just take the, um, take the opportunity anyway because it's just experience. But mm. you, had your, you had your morals and you stuck by them and you told them, that's like i mean that would impress me more as an interviewer if i had seen that and be like okay he's got grit about him like 
he he challenges the status quo he's not there to just be a yes man as everyone that normally comes to interviews are they're just like yes sir no sir i'll do whatever you say and it showed yeah. that you you had a different side to you uh, you know i'm glad i did because <clears throat> by the end of it i was like you know thank you for the opportunity but it's no from me like it was really empowering rejecting them as yeah. opposed to like, accepting that i'm going to have to change myself to fit in which yeah, yeah. To be honest, it, it is a privilege because not everyone is in a position where they can just pick and choose what they want, which is also really important, particularly for like, you know, the 93% club looks at like, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds, right? We are in hard times. Like when I did finally get my job at the post office, this is such an interesting point because like, um, when I did finally get the job at the post office, I told my brother and the first thing he said was, oh man, that's great. Now you can start helping with the bills. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> But like yeah. for most for most people, especially young people, right? Like particularly who are part of that like other percentage, growing up, the, a lot of their parents, especially like the bank of mummy and daddy, they want yeah, to kids accumulate as much wealth as possible, and, and it's yeah, nothing yeah. against them. But that is their privilege. Whereas like for a lot of us, we don't have that privilege. We have to sort of take on that responsibility of contributing to the household much sooner. Yeah, yeah. I was one of the lucky ones. You know, at twenty one, I hadn't contributed to the household, but a lot of younger people do. So, no, hundred percent. I had I had a friend who came straight out of school, secondary school, and he went to do an apprenticeship, and he he had a, a single mum, yeah. and um he was literally from the get go helping to pay bills, helping to pay uh pay this bill here, this Wi Fi bill here, and I felt for him. I was like, at that age, you just want to stack money. That's it. But like, it's because of the situation you're in, and I I feel, I feel like that's what differentiates um a lot of people from their peers. Mm. I it, think it's, it's 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 the ability to to not it's not your ego but to let go of that want for money and to have that okay i need to help my mom out here i need to help my dad out here you, you just gotta do it the more of like a it's more of like a community yeah if you know yeah, what i'm saying is. like my my money that i'm going to earn is also going to be seen as uh my mom's and my dad's money as well in the short term at least completely and and it that level of responsibility can help shape your mindset, help define you as a person moving forward. Um, that community point is so key because you'll often find like some of the, some of the poorest people that I've, I've cause I, I, I work as a youth worker as well um, within uh, Tower Hamlets. And so I work with eight to 13 year olds who come from the similar background as me, very poor backgrounds, but they're some of the most generous people you'll ever meet. And it's so... Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I've noticed that. I've really noticed that. It's, it's such a strange contrast where you have that point of community and, you know, it's like a community welfare. We're here to support one another because we're just not getting the support from where it's supposed to come from. And where we are literally, especially like where I live on the Isle of Dogs, the, the contrast in, in socioeconomic backgrounds is is unreal you know you've got canary wharf which is arguably the the financial center of the entire country right next to you know right within tower hamlets which is one of the most uh socially economic deprived boroughs in the uk how does that work how do you have this huge financial center yet you have it surrounded by you know such in poverty um and so yeah yeah exactly growing up 100 percent has defined me as a person yeah, yeah. I uh, know that that's brilliant. I've I, I've noticed that as well. I've noticed a lot of people, the most disadvantaged people, I want to say, I want to say people that haven't had a wealthy upbringing 
are normally, in my eyes, from what I, my experience is, the most generous. Like, they look to help other people and to give money. I've noticed, especially. Yes. Um, they, they, they get more they get more pride out of helping someone else or giving them the last piece of change than using it for themselves. Which I feel is a really strong character point to have. Character quality to have. Yeah, and it's <clears throat> testament to the to the community for always wanting to stick together despite the adversities. The hardships. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I, I feel like it helps to make us more mature quick. It makes you mature quickly as well. Mm. Because as you said, it's not bank of mummy and daddy. It's bank of you, but now you have to give it to mummy and daddy. <laughs> Do you it's know what I mean? Best, no, it's bank yeah. of us together, yeah. Yeah. it is it is it is bank of us 100% and I mean I think the next natural question after that is have you felt as you're progressing through your career do you feel like you've lost touch with the community at all do you feel like the background you're in now and the, the culture you're in now the work culture has distanced you from that community or do you feel that those roots are still deeply embedded in, so your, I in say... your character I, w- I would say that's a great question. I think one of the main reasons why I turned down my brokerage firm was that because it conflicted my identity. And one of the main reasons why I chose to join Post Office was because it was such a community-orientated organization. So its it cornerstone, its sort of slogan is, it's a it's a commercially-driven organization with a social purpose. The social purpose being we have 11,500 branches where the core of each community, especially in rural areas where the post office is everything, you know. That's where you get your letters from. That's where you deposit cash, withdraw cash, have your other services. It, it, it for me naturally felt like a workplace which tied in with who I was, a very community orientated person. The difference yeah. is corporate lifestyle, because um, it, it, I mean, post office, whether people believe it or not, you know, it does have a head office, and that head office is extremely corporate. It wants to make money. It's commercially driven. And, that for me it did begin to sort of it did begin to sort of conflict with my identity as I moved forward which is why I tried to create opportunities for myself so that that vulnerable customer work that I did in my third rotation as a graduate I actually created that rotation for myself so during my second rotation in retail I had a great line manager and he asked me you know what is it that you want to do for your third rotation and I said well we've been doing a bit of work on vulnerable customers I really love that work you know, working with the community, working with different people who need more support. And he was like, okay, well, let's let's create a bid. Um, and, yeah. let's do and, and usually the business, so people in the business will submit a bid. They will bid for a graduate. And then the graduate uh, head will sort of assign you to a bid, which they feel is really, really good. And so my line manager identified that in compliance, they're doing a lot of work with vulnerable customers. And he managed to, you know, speak to, speak to him and they created a bid. Bob's your uncle and now I'm working with vulnerable customers and that's part of like how my identity pushed me to find opportunities within the organization despite being so corporate orientated and I would encourage other people to do the same um, because there's yeah. always an opportunity to help out whether it's directly through your work that you do nine to five so that those like six months were amazing because I was able to do something that I love I was literally helping people whilst you know it was my full-time job um yeah yeah 100 percent. moved on from that and i now work in central risk so i'm operational risk working with like banking services payments and identity services which is a lot less community orientated it's about finding those pockets of opportunities within the workplace that still support your identity and like for me it's about supporting the community so 
a lot of the work I do is around like finding ways to do that. Um, I started an initiative called Open Doors, which is about supporting young people with autism because like autism for me, my nephew, he has autism. So I've always, and watching him grow up, I've always said to myself, you know, I'd love the world to be more understanding of him and his circumstances. Yeah, and 100%. That is the right place. And so, you know, I started an initiative um, and it was about identifying people in the workplace who aligned with that initiative. So it could be people who are parents of children with autism, bringing them on board and using what we have at our disposal to create an initiative that supports young people with autism, which is exactly what we did. And that for me That's is amazing. Like, That's amazing work that. Yeah, and it was so fulfilling because, again, you're in your workplace, you have your nine to five. What more can you bring to the table that supports your identity? If you're community orientated like me, think of ways to support your community. Can you start an internship program at your workplace where people from your community can come in and intern as like people within your organization, which is currently happening, which is great. Yeah. Because um, you yeah. want to see, and, and for me, a big, a big part of me is that once I've crossed the bridge, I don't just keep looking forward to the next bridge. It's about looking back and understanding how you can make that bridge stronger so more people can cross it. That's what it is when it comes to like giving back. You have to make that's, it. Yeah, easy. that's community, isn't it? That's helping everyone out, seeing everyone else succeed. Like you, you, you haven't succeeded truly until you see your people succeeding as well. 100%. 100%. Yeah, no, no. I, 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 that's what I was, when I was reading about you, I was, I looked at the, um, when, at RBS, when mm. you were, uh, the Sh- uh, Shariah compliant finance um when you de- when you developed and presented that i was just i was amazed by that and it just goes back to what you're saying now you're it's, you're always looking for ways and it always goes back to your roots mm, completely yeah you're always, that's... you're always looking back to where you came from you like you, it's not forgetting your roots basically isn't it that was such a, a great experience because again it was about using my identity to create work for myself so whilst i was at rbs um, they asked me, you know, what are some of the things that you can present to us that will really change the way we think about banking? <clears throat> Which, you know, for a 16 year old, you're like, bloody hell, that's a big question. But I started to think, okay, what is it that I identify with the world and the way the world of banking works? And how can I bring that to the table here? And, and Sharia compliant banking is such a different way of looking at banking in the Western world, because if you look at Western capitalism, it's highly, highly focused on high risk, high reward which, as we know from past experiences, can backfire immensely. Whereas, like, yeah, Sharia yeah, Finance, you know, however you may view it, it does prefer the lower risk, lower return, but stability. And so... Stability is key, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. So when I presented that to, to like, the directors at RBS, it was a 10-minute presentation talking about Sharia Compliant Finance and how that's worked around the world and how that could be something that could be introduced in the UK. And at the time, you know excuse me different banks were trialing it so like you had this term called the islamic window which was referencing islamic banking products being trialed in the uk or in western countries to see if they were actually profitable um you had um hsbc had that i think it was called the amana product which they no longer have but during that time they had i think it was called amana which was a banking product for them um which was you know sharia compliant why is it that you know we weren't doing that more and you know could it be something that we could do more of? and that was essentially what i was presenting um, okay was, yeah yeah i was really i was really interested in that and and now that i've spoken to you I've, I've i've noticed the pattern the repeating pattern here which is always i'll take the step forward in my career but i'll always look back and always be looking at what i can still do to help people that are looking up to me yeah 
it's, it's just helping out the community helping out people your people succeed as well and i, I find that really aspi- like inspiring I, I truly like i think the work you're doing is great i appreciate that um, um just just to just a few quick questions before mm-hmm. we finish off um uh one thing i was going to ask was what would you tell your um your first year uni self if if you, the 18 year old you was going into uni first year first day and you had someone that could slap you around the face and tell you one or a few things that you had to do or you had to keep into mind what would they be um your deadlines <laughs> yeah 100 I, I thought that i was gonna be one yeah um Start no, with this set. <laughs> in more seriousness like yeah it's it's so important because first year especially for university you're bombarded with information it's the first time you've been particularly for me it was such a <clears throat> excuse me it was such a strange environment to be part of um for the first few weeks. i remember specifically coming home for the first five days and just falling asleep on my bed because i was so mentally exhausted yeah yeah 100%. With that information. <clears throat> um so i i would definitely say that like have a balance um, you're making friends, which is really important, but also have an yeah. eye on your upcoming deadlines because they do come thick and thin, um, thick and quickly. Um, I remember we were in, at the Royal Geographical Society and our lecturer at the time was just talking to us and she said, okay, so, you know, based on what you've seen so far and all the reading that you guys have done, you know, I look forward to seeing your essays next week. And I was like, what? You had an essay due you next what? week? Yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, excuse me? So that, that for me... And, you know, that memory really stood out because that was the first time where I felt, like, pressure to within university yeah. so early on. Um, I didn't expect it to be so quickly that I'd be like, oh, my God, I need to find my feet and start It hits working. you quick, doesn't it? It hits you really quick. Completely. Um, and it kind of relates back to that point of being bombarded with everything because you feel pressure to go to socials. You feel pressure to join societies. You feel pressure to start finding yourself at university when really it's a process. And you have usually three years, some people more to do that but not a lot of people realize it and so it kind of ties into having patience as well understanding that it is a process yeah yeah every everyone's on their own journey aren't they and you've you've just got to take every day as it comes uh, the cliche as it is um also i think the same question would go to your first job role your first professional job role if you could look back and give yourself a piece of advice Mm. what what would you what would you say what would be the most important i would say patience so i've you yeah. know at university you're really keen to impress you've got a lot of skills yeah. you want to use them and show people that you're capable and quickly take on responsibility which is fantastic never lose that drive but channel it which means using it when it's necessary and taking a step back when necessary my first six months of post office i should have been focusing more on networking as opposed to trying to ace you know every single piece of work and asking for more work and doing more work and just Loads and loads and loads of yeah, loads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't have a lot of patience. And so I wish I had more so that I could spend that time learning about the organization, learning about the people in my team, working with them, just taking advice from them generally and, and doing the work when given to me. Because one thing that I failed to understand was, you know, my line manager, he doesn't know me at all. And I don't know my line manager at all. But more importantly, he doesn't know me. So in terms of capabilities, he has no idea what I'm capable of, right? Yeah, and yeah. If you're constantly banging at the door saying, let me do this, this is, he's like, I, I don't even know if you can write up a Word document at this moment in time. Like, I need to see. Yeah, you. yeah. It's um, a slow progression, isn't it? 
and yeah, yeah. and you yeah and you feel like the skills you've learned at uni and you've demonstrated at uni to your lecturers just automatically transfer to your workplace but they're not because everyone at your workplace is a stranger to you exactly exactly um so having that patience having that that humility to feel like okay this is a restart but i've got more skills this time and it kind of yeah, goes, yeah. if you think you've about got like, more ammunition in in a way you've got to to tackle these questions and stuff exactly the, the challenges you face i mean did, did that ever lead on to did that ever make you experience any kind of imposter syndrome like did you ever feel like you were out of place especially in the beginning or um, did you just take it in your stride and know that you, you would get there eventually and everything would be okay so part of my beginning was recognizing that this is a six-month stint and i'm going to move on so i'm going to learn as much as i can whilst i can to sort of progress and then inevitably whether or not i do learn anything i have to move on which is you know great cool um i think yeah really start to sink in when excuse me um i took on my first role outside of the graduate scheme so graduated from the graduate scheme did a great job applause fantastic i'm now in central risk i'm a risk business partner this is my you know full-time contract this is what i do it's my job um when I looked at the job description, you know, a risk business partner typically comes in with about five years experience. Yeah. And so for me, I was the most junior person, well, I am the most junior person in my team. There's a massive age gap between the people in my team and I as well. And so imposter syndrome definitely is a factor when it comes to that, because you're working with risk business partners who've been doing this for a number of years. You know, they understand the role inside and out. Whereas with you, you're a risk business partner, but you're like, oh my God, like, what am I doing? And how do I do it? And if I ask questions, do I look dumb? And if yeah, I don't ask questions, yeah, yeah. like I'm not interested. And so you're you're constantly having this internal battle. And as a result, you're not focusing on what's in front of you, which is completely understandable because imposter syndrome is made to make you feel like that. It's made to make you feel like you're incapable and everyone else knows it. Like everyone else is just staring at you all the time and saying, that guy, I have no idea what he's doing here. Why is he here? He can't do Yeah, it. yeah, and yeah. In reality, everyone's like, I've got my own work to do. So the likelihood is yeah. that focusing on you. Yeah, yeah. Um, 100%. 100%. Um, we actually had a workshop in, at Post Office specifically on imposter syndrome, which was so eye-opening because some of the most senior members of the business, we're talking like managing directors of like Post Office Money, um, were coming down and and talking about their experiences of imposter syndrome and and it can go across all the board you know like we had you know white heterosexual males who are you know co co commonly seen as like people with the least amount of imposter syndrome because you know entitlement and privilege right who were in the room saying i feel like i'm not suited to this job and then we had like yeah. senior yeah. women in the organization who are inspirational, who have, you know, despite all the adversities and all the glass ceilings, have smashed through them and made it through the top. And they're saying, you know, as a woman, in, even in my position, I still feel like I can't, I, I'm not capable. And a lot of people know it. And then I'm just sat there like, bloody hell, like all these senior people feel like this. And I feel like this now. What the hell is going to happen to me? Um, yeah, yeah. But it, it just goes to show, <clears throat> like, imposter syndrome can happen at any time. It can happen to anyone. It's, and, ev and everyone's on the sa in the same boat. You, you, you've got to know that everyone feels it. It's not just you. That's where a lot of comfort came from, knowing that it's not just me and not by myself in this, um, which was great because it took a bit of weight off my shoulders. But just learning to cope with imposter syndrome and, 
you know, asking yourself the question, why do you feel like this? And then noting that down. Okay, why do you feel like you're not good enough? Because I don't understand X, Y, and Z. Okay, note that down. Do you think you can learn X, Y, and Z? I don't know how to do that. Do you think someone can teach you X, Y, and Z? Well, if I bring up at my next one-to-one, perhaps my line manager and I can build an action plan towards working towards understanding those things. And just by asking those questions, you can begin to define the universe around you and start to ask yourself, okay, this is what I need to do over here. This is what I need to do over there. And this is what I need to do over here. You begin building a structured roadmap of of what it is that's making you feel insecure and then begin understanding how to address that. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. No, that that's brilliant. I I think I feel like this podcast has been extremely insightful. I mean, I've learned a lot myself as well. Um I think your story is really inspirational to me as well because for me it's close to my heart as well because I've got um a disabled cousin as well and it's like yeah it's like me as a person as well I want to make sh- equality is a big thing and as part of the 93% club as well you you want no barriers for anyone you want everyone to succeed and as much as this is this society is focused on disadvantaged students it's it's really not it's it's open to everyone it's equality for everyone 100%. and that's the thing we're uh, we're aiming towards and your story is really inspirational um every, i've learned a lot especially from your mistakes <laughs> from yeah, from like, keeping <laughs> yeah 100 but keeping like keeping an open mind and patience is one of the key things I've picked out from, from what you've said It's it's knowing your roots, but being patient and knowing that in time you'll have a chance to develop the, the skills you have to show them off. You don't have to run in and, and just, you know, bull in a China shop. This is what I can do. Mm. Um, so Mohammed, is there anything else you want to touch on? I think that's me. Yeah. I think I've learned a lot about myself. And it's, as well. <laughs> yeah yeah just going past memories and exploring them again things that things that you thought you'd run away from but you've come back and you've uh, challenged them yeah. it's always a good thing though because you're you're learning constantly then from your mistakes your previous mistakes 100%. um Mohammed, i've i've loved having you on it's been it's been really good i've learned a lot i'm sure everyone listening will learn a lot as well I, i'd like to thank you for coming on you've been you've been a really good guest for the first yeah. episode i think you've set the bar really high Thank you. I really appreciate you guys giving me the time to uh, talk about my experiences. I'm always happy to explore the past and hope that it can help you guys in the future. So, yeah, it's been a privilege. Thank you. No, that, that's absolutely brilliant. That, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day as well. Thank you. Thank you. Have a nice day. See you.